On today's episode of Go Chuck Yourself, we're going to be discussing Chuck Season 4, Episode 6, Chuck versus the Isle of Terror. Ah, sounds like when I was walking down the aisle to meet my wife. Go Chuck Yourself. This is the podcast where we go through the wonderful world of Chuck, the television show. We go through it by episode by episode, getting in-depth with everything. We got plot synopsis. We got we got thoughts. We got analysis. We got all of it. And you're listening to it right here. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arata. I have all of those things in my hands right now. I need to put them down. Chris, <laughs> hurry up. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Um... So I don't know how many people listen to our episodes the day that they come out, uh, but this episode comes out on Monday, November 2nd, which, of course, is the day before Election Day here Uh. in the United States. Uh, So I just wanted to take a moment and speak to that. Uh, The title of this episode is, of course, Chuck versus the Isle of Terror. So it would be easy for me to talk to you about the election using fear tactics, but... I respect you too much to do that. So instead, I would like to use a Chuck-related analogy for all of you here today. Oh, I'm excited about this. Imagine that you were the manager of the Buy More. You could be Big Mike. You could be Beckman during her brief stint as the manager. You could be Morgan. You could be Emmett, I guess. You could be any manager you want. You could have like a fan fiction situation where like Casey's the manager or Chuck's the manager. Doesn't matter. You're the manager of a Buy More. And you are tasked with conducting employee reviews uh, and you get to reviewing your assistant manager and he's worked for you for the past uh, almost four years coming up uh, and he has been rude, uh, dishonest, disrespectful, ignorant, arrogant, inconsiderate, narcissistic and morally and legally corrupt at almost every turn. Oh, and also under his watch, there's also an airborne virus ripping its way through the store and the entire electronics department is on fire. Uh, He also does not seem to be that bothered by customers coming into the store and being openly racist and hateful towards people of color. So my question to you is, do you rehire this person? Now, I think anybody in the situation, you're the store manager, you would say no, regardless of your political affiliation. It's not a hard choice. You would not be keeping this person around as someone who works for you. There are values that we demand of each other in our day-to-day lives from our coworkers, from our co-hosts. If you have a podcast, I'm looking at my co-host right now. You, We demand things from our teachers, from our community leaders, uh, from just about everyone that we, we must demand these things, these same things from our elected leaders, especially, especially the president. <laughs> Regardless of how you feel about certain policies or where you live, you deserve a leader who treats people with respect and dignity and values knowledge and compassion and decency, especially when there is just, God, so much at stake. So with that said, I hope that if you have not already, that you will vote on November 3rd and join me and Aaron in demanding better. Aaron, I guess I can't say with certainty that I know who you (laughs) voted for, but I guess I could take an educated guess and assume that we're on the same page about this. If not, this just got very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't even want to make a joke here. Yes, I did vote for Joseph R. Biden. 
Is that right? Is that the is that the right middle initial? Oh no! Did you vote for the wrong Joe oh, Biden God. on the ballot? Oh no! <laughs> um, it's Joseph K. Biden. Everyone knows that. Yes. Uh, darn. Well, gotta contact my uh, polling place, I guess. But yes, I, so. um, I did uh, fill out California. We were lucky enough to all receive mail-in ballots. But just um, if you are in California or if you are voting absentee or by mail, make sure you mail your ballot on time. Um, and if you can, drop it off at a location so that there is no potential for anybody messing with your box or whatnot. That's what that's what I did. I had my absentee ballot and I personally brought it to my box and I said, no one's messing with my box. And I stood over the drop box. Yeah. And the woman said, OK, as soon as you drop it in the box, I can give you a sticker. And I said, you sure? And she said, yep. So I dropped my ballot in the box and she handed me a sticker. Ah, I have a sticker, too. That's so exciting. Yes. yes. Stickers so, are great. If for no other reason, you do it for a sticker, but correct. also for other reasons are good. Yes. So. If you are listening to this episode after November 3rd, you can't say that we didn't try, folks. <laughs> we tried. And if you live in Canada, good for you. I didn't really have, <laughs> I didn't have anything else to say there. Just good for you. If you live in Canada, do you have any realtor suggestions? <laughs> do you have any neighborhoods that you think are ideal to live in? Uh, asking for a friend. That was really nice. Thank you. I just wanted to share my, my soapbox moment with you. Uh, and now... Uh, I can I'll get off the soapbox and we can get into uh, what I guess is a Halloween episode of Chuck. I am deeply, deeply bothered that we are doing the Halloween episode of Chuck two days after Halloween. <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, and I guess, you know, this episode also kind of has a half ass approach to how much effort they put into celebrating Halloween anyways. So I don't feel bad if we're not that spooky because this episode I don't know if I don't know how you think about this, but I feel like in terms of spookiness, this level, this episode was, you know, maybe on a, a scale of zero to ten pumpkins, I would say, or jack-o'-lanterns. <laughs> this was like like a six in terms of jack-o'-lanterns. It was a Halloween episode. We cannot deny that it was a Halloween episode and had Halloween elements. But in terms mm -hmm. of scares, I would say le less scares. I, I agree with that. So. Why don't we uh, why don't we get into this now all that right. all the Halloween costumes are already packed away because it's already November 2nd uh, and all the pumpkins are taken down and whatnot. But we're we're bringing back Halloween. It's the we're heading into Halloween town. That's right. Calabar's revenge. All right. So we open on Volkov Industries two weeks ago where a guard catches a before man. Before Halloween. Yeah, before Halloween. We were we were still preparing for Halloween at this point. Right. There's a guard. He catches a man in a lab coat trying to sneak into a secured area. When the guard apprehends the scientist man, whose name is Wheelwright, Wheelwright is all kind of snivelly and pretends he needs an inhaler, but then he sprays the inhaler in the guard's face. This then basically turns into a scene out of Batman because the scientist is like, this is a toxin that makes you live your worst nightmares. And then the guard's perspective gets all kind of shaky and he sees the scientist turn into a demon and da da da. It was it was just the scarecrow, right? That's that's yeah, what's was, going on here. It seems to be the scarecrow, exactly, yeah. where they use some kind of toxin to make you afraid of everything. And then it just kind of like it the the fear thing is just kind of like the perspective gets weird. Like it kind of gets a little darker and then people kind of like shake around you know right yeah there was kind of kind of a cool effect where they made his face like elongated yeah, cool. and like his eyes changed yeah. colors yeah. that was pretty cool that was pretty cool 
Um, yeah, I'm sure like experiencing this would actually be scary if your vision distorted suddenly and everything. But like watching it, I was like, oh, it just looks like they put like a Windows Movie Maker effect on the screen. I think it would be really scary if you had couch lock <laughs> and we're dealing oh, with this, yes. this toxin. Mm. That would be scary if you couldn't move. Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of drug references in these episodes of, of Chuck. They're really well, we know where they were at, yeah. <laughs> So the guard might die. It's kind of unclear. He collapses <laughs> um, and the door to the secured area opens. Chuck's mom, Mary Bartowski, opens the door and says the toxin is very impressive and she thinks she might have a buyer lined up in Los Angeles. Ooh. What a coincidence. That's where Chuck lives. Wow, you're right. Wow. We come back to the scene the last episode ended on, which is in the present, where Chuck is in the courtyard during Ellie's party, or it's, I think it's Morgan's party, actually. Somebody's party. Somebody's mm. having a party. Morgan's party, but Ellie announces that she is having a daughter, so she kind of steals the spotlight, but yeah. it's supposed to be all about Morgan. Yeah. And then at some point, Ellie serves dessert. So I don't know why she's doing that at Morgan's party. I don't know. Whatever. It's it's somebody's party. Chuck gets a call from his mom. She says she needs to see him and asks him to meet her in Griffith Park in an hour, which is for once a really reasonable request. And I'm going to chime in as someone who lives in L.A. Echo Park, relatively close to Griffith Park. And an hour more than accounts for nighttime travel and the mental effort associated with deciding to see your missing mom. So I was very happy. Good on Mary, even though she's been away for 20 years or whatever amount of time they've established. Uh, mm -hmm. She she knows her L.A. So good. Chuck asks Mary what she's been up to all this time, and she says it's not the time to talk about it, then hangs up. Sarah comes out, which I actually thought was really funny, because if you think about it in the context of the last episode, she had come out to check on Chuck and then gone back inside right before he got this phone call. So basically, like, the door has barely shut behind her before she comes out to check on him again. But in the context <laughs> of this episode, you don't have to think about that. She says Ellie is about to serve dessert again. Why is Ellie serving dessert at Morgan's party? Whatever. But then she notices that Chuck looks like he's seen a ghost. He says, I just talked to one. That's a spooky thing. Halloween ghost in Griffith Park. Chuck sits alone on a bench and gets a phone call. His mom tells him to look to his right and he sees her on the other side of the road in what's just a great coat. She looks great. She tells him to meet her at the playground. He asked her what's going on and she says, it's complicated. Basically, she, like, she doesn't say those exact words, but she does say it is complicated. At the playground, Sarah radios Chuck to say she's in position, but then someone puts a gun to her head. Surprise, it's Mary. She asks who Sarah is, but Sarah deflects and pulls out her own gun. They have a snarky, sexy Sarah semi-showdown, which Chuck interrupts by running up and introducing his mom to his girlfriend and asking them not to kill each other. After the credits, Mary agrees to lower her gun. When Chuck starts to ask her questions and tell her about what she's missed in his life, she stops him and says she doesn't want to know anything that could get him or Ellie hurt. She explains that she's deep, deep undercover with Volkoff and her CIA records were expunged to keep her cover, so that's why they couldn't find anything on her. Sarah thinks this is just a little too convenient, but Mary has a peace offering. She tells them about the terror-inducing nerve gas drug that is about to be sold in L.A. She says it's too dangerous to end up on the market, so she set up the deal and wants Chuck to pose as the buyer so the CIA gets the drug. She tells Chuck to tell Beckman that he flashed. He's shocked she knows about the intersect, but she says she knows everything there is to know about Charles Carmichael. Also, at some point in this conversation, Chuck refers to Sarah and his mom as BFF Facebook buddies, which I thought would be either a good game or a great band name. Uh, we get kind of a weird scene in the Bymore where Morgan is inviting customers to come back on the weekend for the Bymore's haunted house. 
I'll give Morgan one thing between book signings, haunted houses, game releases, etc. He's really thinking outside the box with his managership. So good for him. I, I'm kind of impressed. Yeah, he really embraces this uh, sense of theater for the store. Yeah, he really goes above and beyond. Although the customers don't really seem to be responding that well to it because no one goes to the haunted house ultimately. Sorry, oh, yeah, spoiler that's alert. No, uh, yeah. After he delivers a pretty funny line about how the haunted house won't have really scary things like war and bears, which I was hoping were gonna sh- was gonna come back, but it didn't. Ah, another spoiler alert. Casey drops in to tell Morgan that after the incident in Iran, Casey thinks Morgan might have something to offer as a spy. So they're both going to go down to Castle for Chuck and Sarah's debriefing. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but in this scene while he's talking to Casey, Morgan briefly mentions his father. And I think that was Mm -hmm. the first time we've heard of Morgan's father. So that was pretty exciting for me. Yeah, and we were just talking about Morgan's father a few episodes back because we were thinking of it in the context of Big Mike becoming Morgan's stepdad. Yeah. And it appears that this just is a glimpse into Morgan's life and his relationship with Mm -hmm. his father. But it did not seem to be a great one. No, he said his dad calls him an idiot all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, that's something that dads do, isn't it? They're just always calling you an idiot. Right? Right? Is that weird? Um, uh... (laughs) Uh, We get a brief scene of Chuck appealing to Sarah, who is wearing a great shirt, for reassurance that they're doing the right thing by trusting Mary. Sarah seems kind of torn, but she says they're going to get answers. They just have to be cautious. Once Casey and Morgan are settled in, Beckman calls to tell Chuck that his flash on Wheelwright checked out. Chuck suggests that he poses the buyer per his mom's instruction, and Beckman is once again impressed with his initiative and says she'll set up a meeting with Wheelwright. Once she's off the screen, Casey asks Chuck what that was all about, and Chuck, right in front of the TV that he knows is connected to Beckman, explains that he found his mom. Beckman doesn't pop back up, so it's fine. Morgan is excited, but Casey can't believe Chuck is trusting his mom when she works for Volkoff. Chuck and Sarah try to reassure Casey, but he seems unconvinced. Meanwhile, Ellie arrives at her and Devin's place to find that Devin's mom is planning to stay with them for a week. Devin explains that she canceled her room at the W, but he'll tell her she should rebook it if Ellie prefers. Ellie isn't Honey's biggest fan, but she says it might help her to spend a week getting motherly advice. Back at the Buy More, Morgan seems to be the only one responsible for Halloween decorations. I don't really know why um, other people aren't contributing to this, but Morgan's just popping them up there. He's putting up some witches, he's putting up some streamers, etc., etc. Big Mike comes over and Morgan explains that he's just a bit overwhelmed between real life things with Chuck and the Buy More. Not sure why he doesn't mention Alex here. She really doesn't come up in this episode at all, which seems surprising considering that Like, it's a new relationship and Morgan's all about that, but okay. Big Mike tells Morgan that he has to start delegating. Not to Big Mike, of course, because he's reading a Daniel Steele novel, but if Morgan wants the haunted house to be really scary, he should turn to some really scary people. Big Mike points to Jeff and Lester, who seem to be playing a Just Dance type game. Jeff is shirtless and very sweaty. And at this point, I I made the note, if there isn't a Jeffster performance of the Monster Mash in this episode, I'm going to be pissed. And spoiler alert, I was pissed. That would have been good. Maybe they couldn't get the rights. That was a good idea. Yeah. I was excited, though, because in this scene, uh, the shot is is the source of a gif that I see a lot of times. It's the, oh. the Jeff and Lester dancing gif. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? I feel like that when you search Chuck gifs, that always like comes up as one of the first ones. Well, that's it's like seeing a celebrity. I know. That's how I felt. Something that I noticed about this scene, uh, Big Mike was really harsh on books a couple episodes ago. And in this episode he is reading a book well he was harsh on relationship advice okay daniel Steele is okay right i think so i don't think he was necessarily anti-book i think he was just anti another man 
giving Morgan relationship advice about okay. something that you shouldn't need advice on. You just feel in your loins. I don't like when you say loins. Later, Chuck arrives at a downtown LA restaurant wearing a suit and glasses. Sarah greets him as the hostess. She's also wearing glasses and a very pretty white dress, which Chuck refers to as a hostess outfit, although I kind of assumed it was just a dress that Sarah owned. It didn't really look like anything hostess specific. But I wanted to ask you, how do you think she got this gig? Like, do you think um, she went in and, like, had to interview and, like, get hired as a hostess? Or do you think they just, like, tied up the actual hostess in a closet? Or what do you think is going on? Well, that's the classic dilemma in Chuck, isn't it? Is how do they get these covers so yeah. easily? Because sometimes it's like a situation where the the cover is completely CIA. So it's like, oh, this is a whole like yeah. fake restaurant that mm -hmm. just is filled with plants. But mm -hmm. the, those other times we're like, well, this seems like a normal restaurant. How did Sarah just waltz up and just... Uh, well, I guess if you... If she approached a restaurant manager with her badge and said, I work for the the CIA and it's a matter of national security. I need yeah. to pose as your, your uh, hostess. Then wouldn't you allow them to do that? I yeah, guess? that's true. So however she got there, Sarah is the hostess and she tells Chuck that Wheelwright is on his way down in castle. Morgan and Casey are on the radios listening in. Morgan refers to his relationship with Casey as a classic Ross and Rachel, which is a level I hadn't thought about and will be putting in my fan fiction. Wheelwright arrives and Chuck takes off his glasses, which is apparently the signal, and their meeting begins. I think Casey would look really good in the uh, Jennifer Aniston slash Rachel hairstyle. <laughs> oh, so you think he's the Rachel of the relationship? I, I would think so. I thought that was obvious. I don't know <laughs> what you were thinking. I, I didn't really think about it, but yeah, I do think he would look good with that haircut. Yeah. So, as Aaron said, Dr. Wheelwright sits right down at the table and cuts right to the chase. He wants to discuss the price for the deal. Chuck assures him that he will make Wheelwright a very rich man, and the two men raise their glasses for a toast. When Mary enters and introduces herself to Carmichael, and the two men tense up, what's she doing here? Mary explains to Chuck that she's there to ensure a smooth transaction. She's still under her undercover as Frost, kind of, pretending like she doesn't know who Chuck is. Chuck and Wheelwright say that everything is going smoothly, but Mary says that although that it may appear that way, She's been doing some digging, and it turns out that Charles Carmichael is a spy. <gasps> she takes out her gun from her purse and shoots Chuck in the chest in front of everyone, mm -hmm. and then starts to shoot at Sarah before turning to the security camera and shooting it out so Casey and Morgan can't see what's going on. Are we both just speechless right now? Yeah, it was pretty intense. That was a, that was a shock. It was like, why is she there? And then she shoots at them? She's bad? I guess? Mary and Wheelwright seemingly escape, leaving Sarah to look for Chuck, who is laying on the ground with a bullet hole in his chest. It's very dramatic. Yeah. I don't know about you. Even though I, I knew that Chuck wasn't dead, I was pretty upset by this visual. Yeah, it was it was pretty intense. Um, I was I was also noticing that because I I thought, oh, maybe Mary like shot with blanks or something. But then there's like there is a clear bullet hole in Chuck's like jacket, shirt mm. area. Um. Another instance of bulletproof vests just being all over the place. I had thought earlier when Mary was having her standoff with Sarah, how, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm a terrible person, that it would be funny if, like, Mary accidentally shot Sarah and didn't realize that she was working with Chuck and was Chuck's girlfriend and how terrible that would be to have your um, mother-in-law shoot you, I guess. That but seems like... Um like, you should write, like, an Oscar award-winning screenplay about, like, just that and, like, the fallout. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Coming Thank soon. 
<laughs> but I was just saying that the I kind of lost that idea lost appeal to me because when I saw Mary shoot Chuck, I was like, oh, maybe it's not that funny when Mary shoots people that no, you don't think no, she's going to shoot. <laughs> so no. I kind of felt bad about thinking about it earlier. Good. Um, you should feel bad. Thanks. Chuck. So he's on the ground and he gasps for air and he rips open his shirt to reveal that he was wearing a bulletproof vest. Sarah runs up to him to ask how he is. And Chuck says, my mom shot me. Are you kind of curious what it feels like to get shot in a bulletproof vest? Not really. No. I wouldn't like because everybody. Okay, so like in in all TV where it happens, they get like shot and then they fall down and seem to have like passed out. But I don't know. Like, does that actually happen or is it just like in TV? It's dramatic to make you think that they might be dead. Because like I could imagine it knocking you down. I'm sure it really hurts and maybe you go into shock and it's like really shocking if someone shoots you. But like, mm. I I don't know like how how bad it is. And I'm I don't know that I want it to happen to me, but like I would like to talk to someone who's been shot in a bulletproof vest and what that feels like. Well, haven't you been paintballing? Do you think it feels like paintballing? I would say I've never been paintballing, but I would imagine that it probably feels like paintballing, but a lot worse because it's like the same kind of quick, you know, stabbing thing. But probably since the bullet's probably moving faster. Uh, and probably Jesus, I'm, I'm just having flashbacks to paintballing. It really hurts. I didn't fall down, though. No, but if it was a if it was stronger than that, you might fall down. That's you might true. kind of be pushed over. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I don't. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, if you've been <laughs> if you've been shot in a bulletproof vest, please write in. Go check yourself. Podcast at gmail Later that day, Chuck is recovering a castle from his bullet wound, which evidently really hurts because he's still feeling it. Um, and he's bemoaning the fact that he actually trusted his mom, even though all of the evidence that he had suggested that he shouldn't do that. Sarah assures him by saying that Chuck's willingness to trust people despite all of his training as a spy is one of the reasons that she loves him. Casey breaks up this lovey-dovey moment by walking in and saying, two fugitives and a dangerous weapon on the loose. Way to go, team. Chuck suggests that they go back to the restaurant to see if Mary and Wheelwright left any clues behind. I thought this was a dumb idea, and I'm glad that all the other characters <laughs> thought it was a dumb idea, too, because no one acknowledges it. Yeah. Um, Morgan tells Chuck that he needs to relax and recover from being shot by his mom and that the rest of them will take care of it. As this is happening, Morgan gets a text from Lester that just says, help. Morgan begrudgingly makes his way up to the Bymore to find Jeff and Lester, who are in the middle of decorating for Halloween. Lester wants to know how scary they can get. Jeff suggests that they buy some dead bodies from a local morgue, from a mortician that he knows, I guess. Um, Morgan tells them to just make it big and to make it fun, but most importantly, make the haunted house scary. Lester says that they need to tap the one place that is so demented that it will change Halloween as we know it. Jeff's mind. <laughs> Chuck exits the buy more for the evening through the back when Mary speeds up in a car. She tells Chuck to get in and he asks why he would do that since she just shot him the last time that they were together. And Mary says that she will shoot him again if he doesn't get in the car. Chuck reluctantly agrees and as he approaches the passenger seat, he activates the emergency tracking device on his phone, allowing Sarah and Casey to track he and Mary's location. Mary takes Chuck for a drive at a brisk 97 miles per hour <laughs> Hell yeah. down, the, down the highway. Sounds fun. Chuck asks her if she could put the gun down and she apologizes and says that she forgot that uh, she didn't have to keep up appearances around him. Mary explains that when she left Chuck and Ellie when they were kids, she was working for the CIA on a special project called Operation Isis. Okay, hold on. Project ISIS? It's Project ISIS, but can we can we talk about that for a second? Sure. When did ISIS 
the the political group show up? Um, I think they kind of, uh, at least I was under the impression that they started really becoming a thing in like 2012. Okay, so, so this a episode years aired before this. All right, I just I just think that's interesting. That's all I'm gonna say. Do you are you implying that Mary was responsible for creating ISIS as, or do you think that ISIS has Chuck fans who are watching this episode? And I said, hey, this would be a really good name for our uh, our band of radical Islamists. I'm just saying, if you know where to look on Reddit, you can find my theories about this. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. We we don't know who's listening, Chris. Okay. Um, so I will continue with my notes. Um, I I don't really know what to make of that. Um, so apparently when Mary was working for the CIA, um, she got in like way too deep undercover working for Volkov and was forced to close the door on her own life, like her real life that she was leaving behind. Um, but it turns out when Chuck started searching for Mary, it started raising concern for Volkov. So Mary had to make it appear that Charles Carmichael had died. Hence that whole awkward moment in the restaurant. It turns out Mary knew Chuck was wearing a vest, which is lucky, I guess. Chuck realizes that Mary has just been acting to protect he and Ellie uh, their whole lives. And Mary says that Chuck and Ellie have always been her top priority. Mary explains that she is constantly haunted by the day that she left Chuck and Ellie and tells Chuck that she would do things differently if she could, but she can't change the past. They eventually arrive at this loading dock where Mary parks the car and tells Chuck to follow her. She has a gift for him that will make up for not getting him a present for his 10th birthday. She then explains that she knew that Wheelwright might panic once he saw her shoot Carmichael, so she wanted to take matters into her own hands. Mary leads Chuck to an industrial shipping container and identifies it as Wheelwright's mobile lab. Turns out Mary tranquilized Wheelwright after they left the restaurant and she put him inside uh, this mobile lab with all of his vials of atroxium. Mary apologizes to Chuck for shooting him. We hear sirens approaching in the distance and Chuck starts to tell Mary about his tracking device, but she already knows and tells him that he did the right thing. As Sarah and Casey approach, Chuck realizes that Mary is going to disappear again and begs her to go visit Ellie and explain to her why she left them all those years ago. Mary just apologizes and walks away. So Chuck tells her that Ellie is pregnant And this makes Mary stop, but Chuck turns away for a second and Mary disappears into the night. Something I like here is that Sarah and Casey arrive together in the Crown Vic. We haven't really seen the Crown Vic in a while, and I also just like the idea of Sarah and Casey, like, driving along together. That's cool. The Crown Vic makes a couple of appearances in this episode. Yeah, and they they refer to her by name. Sarah and Casey and the SWAT team round the corner to find Chuck sitting in Wheelwright's mobile lab, surrounded by lab equipment and an unconscious Wheelwright. Casey asks Chuck how he got there, and Chuck says, my mom dropped me off. That was cute. Although, can he say that in front of all those guards? Like, wouldn't that ruin ruin her cover? Eh, Potentially. Maybe they're not listening. I don't know. Back in Castle, the team has Will Wright in a holding cell, and Chuck talks to Sarah about how he doesn't know how he's going to explain to Ellie that he actually talked with their mom in person, and Sarah reassures him that he'll figure out the perfect thing to say. At this point, Chuck sees Morgan on a security monitor from the Bymore and says, good thing I know the foremost expert on all things Ellie Bartowski. Okay, okay. So I had a note, I had a bullet point that just says disgusting. And I was gonna bring it up and say, like, let's see if we can figure out what this was in reference to because I thought I would remember and I don't. But that was it. That line was why I wrote disgusting. I just didn't understand it because I'm like, you're her brother, Chuck. Why are you going to Morgan for advice on how to interact with your own sister? 
I mean, that's fair. Chuck is so oblivious of how to connect with his sister that he feels the need to go talk to her former stalker about how to relate to her. Yeah, I guess. And clearly that's worked out for him in the past. Chuck heads off to the Buy More, uh, I guess, to talk to Morgan about his sister. And Casey enters to talk to Sarah. Casey is adamant in his distrust of Mary and says that he knows a guy who could get his hands on expunged government documents so they could possibly retrieve Mary's long lost CIA files. Sarah asks Casey if he wants backup and Casey says no, he already has someone in mind. In the back halls of the Bymore, Chuck tells Morgan the truth about his mom and Morgan is happy to hear it. They both stumble into some fake cobwebs hanging at the end of the hallway. And then uh, they Jeff keep Lester. walking like into them. Like, I feel like you would back up if you walked into anything. <laughs> I feel like you'd be like, whoa, what is that? But they just keep right. pushing through. Yeah, they're just like, well, there's only one way to get through this and <laughs> it's to walk directly through it. Uh, so they kind of are slowly doing that, realizing that Jeff and Lester have really gone all out in decorating the store for Halloween. I thought they did a good job. Maybe, you know, if Jeffster doesn't really work out as a, a musical venture, they could open their own, like, decorating service. Yeah, I'd hire them. They kind of walk around the stores looking at all the decorations. Chuck compliments their work, but Lester insists that the rest of the store is nothing compared to their special project, the Isle of Terror. Jeff and Lester lead Chuck and Morgan to an aisle that has been covered with a large black tent uh, that says Isle of Terror on it. Lester introduces it and a rubber bat falls on his head and Lester shouts, Fernando, not now. And we see Fernando holding a stick with a rubber bat dangling from the end. I loved that. A quality Fernando interaction. So good. Gotta love seeing our friend Jesse. Jeff and Lester take Chuck and Morgan inside the tent and we see a bunch of funky lights and televisions with like old timey broadcast like error images. I don't know exactly what you'd call them. I'm sure they have a name, but I don't know what it is either. So Lester explains that they got this, their whole idea for the Isle of Terror from an experiment that Jeff participated in at the UCLA psychology department for $30 and a sandwich. But then uh, Jeff reveals that it was actually just a sandwich. Maybe it was a Subway sandwich. We haven't really had too many references to Subway yet this season. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Which is kind of bizarre because I feel like they could still use Subway's money at this point. But I guess that's neither here nor there. According to Lester, there was a doctor there named Dr. Schofield who discovered that there are certain images that can strike terror into the heart of the most fearless and mentally disturbed people out there. Jeff takes out a microphone and starts playing a slideshow of these images, but they're actually not scary at all. They're they're images of like old people. Oh, and... Speak for yourself, Chris. You think they're not scary? <laughs> Babies I, no. in costume? Is it a snail or is it a baby, Chris? Oh my god, Aaron, are you one of the most mentally disturbed people out there? Is, is this that... a real... Did you did you Google this to find out if it was real? No, I did not. Okay, I couldn't decide if it was like if it was actually a real thing or if they were like referencing kind of like the psychology of symbolism kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But let's find out in real time. I would imagine that was just something kind of funny that they made up that you'd have to be like... That there's this whole like 360 degree effect with fear that if you're so crazy and so disturbed that like normal things kind of make you feel uncomfortable i think that it's kind of a creative idea i don't think that there's any i don't know if i doubt that there's any validity to that but i could be wrong uh and i'm primarily just saying this to cover up and to uh vamp while Erin is doing her thing i am not i have not found anything that doesn't mean that it's not true but it doesn't immediately show up there is no, I haven't found anything. The only thing I found is on the Chuck Wiki. So if you know anything about this, if it's based on something real, let me know. But maybe it's just not real. 
So Jeff really treats these images like they're the most disturbing things ever. And he really gets very theatrical and it's kind of creepy because we hear, um, what is the song? I know it's from the Nutcracker. Was, <laughs> is that the March of the Nutcracker or like the, some kind of suite of, of something? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know. Fans of the Nutcracker, I know. Or um, the crossover of Chuck fans and Nutcracker fans. I know there's a lot of them. Yeah. So I, I apologize. Morgan says that he has to be honest when he says that this is one of the worst things he's ever seen. <laughs> I kind of like this moment um, because I always like when when anyone speaks in hyperbolic terms like that. I always think it's funny, but I also was kind of appreciating that because I was like, see, Morgan, this is how we feel when we were watching your behavior in seasons <laughs> one and two. That's he true. finally seemed to be uh, to get be getting it this time. Uh, Jeff and Lester are in denial about their Isle of Terror sucking. And Morgan says that he's not letting customers go in there. And he storms out. Elsewhere, back in the real world, Ellie, Devin, and Devin's mom are shopping at a baby store. Yeah, you know, a baby store. I know. I mean, I know. I'm sure those exist. Like, but it was weird to see. I guess I don't have a baby, so I don't hang out at baby stores. Right. I I guess you wouldn't really be because it was kind of like a toy store. But it yeah, I couldn't to... really figure out what it was. Like, I was like, is this a specific baby store? Or is it like the section for babies in another like department store? It was kind of unclear. So Ellie asks Honey, Devin's mom. I, I don't like I referring to her as Honey. It feels weird. It does feel uncomfortable. <laughs> especially for me. Like, I don't want to be a man referring to women as Honey. So <laughs> uh, I'm just going to proceed to be referring to her as Devin's mom, uh, which I guess is also not great because that is like making her a possession of Devin, who's a mm. man. Wow. <sighs> yeah, you're you're in a tough spot, Chris. The character played by Morgan Fairchild. <laughs> Ellie asks the character played by Morgan Fairchild for parenting tips since she raised Devin. And uh, the character played by Morgan Fairchild says that Devin was born amazing right from the start. Now, this really bothered me because it seems like there was a missed opportunity there for a different adjective that describes Devin <laughs> that she could have said. And she, well, did she not. doesn't know that's his nickname. I know, but it would have been so good. It that's, yeah, that's true. And I wish if they stuck with amazing that she went a different route. And like if he grew up with a different like family nickname inside of his family, that, oh, was that like would be cute. Mr. Amazing. Uh -huh. and yeah, that would be really funny. So uh, the character played by Morgan Fairchild starts to tell Ellie that the baby will need positive female role models in her life and offers all the help that she can. Unfortunately, Mary walks into the store in time to hear this and to see Ellie talking to her mother-in-law. Devin walks up with a teddy bear that plays the chicken dance. Does it play the chicken dances. dance, though? He says it plays the chicken dance. I wasn't sure if that was the chicken dance. It's like off-brand chicken dance, yeah. I guess. Uh, and the character played by Morgan Fairchild is offended and puts the teddy bear down and offers Ellie a children's dictionary instead. So uh, Ellie's mother-in-law exits. Uh, to go try to find an encyclopedia to pair with the children's dictionary. And Devin and Ellie have a moment in which Ellie says that, although um, the character played by Morgan Fairchild <laughs> can be a bit much, she's more interested in being in the baby's life than her own mother is, so Ellie really can't complain. Mary overhears this and appears to be sad uh, when Ellie, Devin, and <laughs> Ellie's mother-in-law, also known as the character played by Morgan Fairchild, <laughs> They all leave the store. Mary approaches the discarded teddy bear and examines it before hugging it, smiling, and having an idea. Mm. Hmm. Back in Castle, Chuck and Sarah are discussing Chuck's mom and whether or not to tell Ellie about her while examining the toxin. 
Sarah cuts a wire or something, and a timer pops out of the device and starts counting down. Oh no. They go to talk to Wheelwright in his cell, and he says that they'll need his thumbprint to deactivate the countdown. Chuck and Sarah point their guns at him and say that he has to help them, or he'll either be shot or exposed. They lead him into the main room, and he puts his thumb on the device, shutting it off. Sarah heads off to get the handcuffs? I don't know. But then the device begins counting down rapidly and shoots out the gas, hitting Chuck and Wheelwright right in the face. Chuck yells at Sarah to get back and locks her safely behind some glass. She yells. Around then is when Chuck starts being affected by the toxin. He sees the same distorted vision and Wheelwright turns green and spooky. Despite this, Chuck seems to be handling the toxin pretty well because he's still able to answer questions from Sarah and ask Wheelwright why he'd dose them both. Wheelwright explains that he developed the toxin on himself, so there's nothing left that scares him. He tells Chuck that if Chuck gets him out of Castle, he'll give Chuck the antitoxin, and Chuck agrees anything to make it stop. Honestly, though, I I don't... We can talk about this later. I don't know how you feel about it, but the way Chuck's acting, like, kind of seemed a little... Like, what he's seeing and how he's acting feels a little at odds with the fact that he's like, anything to make it stop. Like, it wasn't that dramatic, I would say. What did you think? Yeah, you're saying that you didn't really feel like Chuck was, like, losing his mind. Yeah, other, like, the dialogue was losing his mind, but, like, what we were seeing and how he was acting, he just kind of seemed like, and I mean, that's an acting choice. Maybe he was, like, doing, like, catatonic fear, but it just seemed, like, a little bit, like, incongruous to me. Yeah, if they could have, obviously, I'm sure they they had restrictions with the budget and whatnot, but they could have, I sort of wish that they did have more scary visuals like yeah. that to kind of sell that better. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. I also think like two things, one, how, how many times do they need to be diffusing like different things or working on things in castle for them to know that they shouldn't do that there? <laughs> like things always go wrong, whether it's this kind of thing. I feel like it's always, there's, they're always playing with stuff and then some kind of gas comes out and yeah. they're all like, Oh no, what do we do? Not and again. Then, like, one of them runs away into the other room and then the door closes because it's doing the whole like vacuum yeah, thing. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, no, we've been exposed. <laughs> so wh- why do they keep doing that? And then also my second question is specifically for Dr. Wheelwright here. Dr. Wheelwright, how what kind of insane person and how inefficient of a like testing process is it for you to be your own test subject for this drug? Because I would think that he, well, he's going to take it himself and then be dehabilitated for like hours on end and then be like, all right, well, that was pretty good. I should adjust <laughs> that to make it like. And doesn't it like it, it's very unclear to me what the drug actually does, because like they talk about how within a certain amount of time you go completely insane. But does that mean you die or like how long does that take? Because Chuck, even though he's like. Wheelwright keeps saying, like, oh, it's at its peak, it's at its worst, like, and Chuck seems fine, like, he seems okay. Yeah. Seems like he's having a moderate panic attack. (laughs) It seems like the idea is that you lose your mind, but Chuck does recover relatively quickly, so it's almost just like having a bad trip, I guess, which I don't have any experience with at all, so I don't (laughs) really know how that works at all, or, like, what exactly... Like what parts of your brain hallucinogenics trigger to mm-hmm. make you have those experiences? Yeah. I have no clue. But yeah, they were treating it like it was a lethal thing, but it, it not really clear. So anyway, um, once they get up into the Bymore, Wheelwright mentions killing Chuck's mom, and that shakes him out of his fear long enough for him to hit the emergency lockdown button, locking them both in the store. But the fears start getting worse, and he hallucinates his mom shooting Sarah, then him, which is honestly pretty scary. 
Wheelwright tells Chuck that these are his deepest fears, and it's only going to get worse since they're both locked in the store. Meanwhile, Sarah tries desperately to break out of the room in Castle. She manages to, like, hotwire the door, and then she calls Casey. Unfortunately, Casey is up to his own tricks with Morgan while they wait for their informant. Casey tells Morgan to just hang out by the Crown Vic and wait for their guy to show up, calling Morgan the Magnet. What is he up to? Hmm. In the Buy More, Wheelwright leads Chuck into the Isle of Terror, but Chuck hits the video button and begins playing the slideshow of creepy images. We see some more, including otters and man feet, and Wheelwright starts freaking out, running out of the tent to be clotheslined by Sarah. Sarah rescues Chuck, but he closes his eyes because he doesn't want to see her like this. And I wonder what she looked like. Like, was that a scene they cut? Or, like, did they just not have the time or the money to, like, put her in makeup? Or was it just supposed to be, like, a funny gag that we don't see and we can just imagine? I wasn't sure. I assumed that she just kind of looked like Wheelwright looked like when he got scary. Yeah. But I don't know why they wouldn't show her like that. In the parking garage, Morgan lounges by the Crown Vic when a guy shows up and puts a gun to Morgan's head. Then Casey comes up and puts a gun to that guy's head. Morgan realizes the magnet just meant he was a magnet for bad guys. He's a little miffed until Casey tells Morgan he did a good job. They look at the file they got, and Casey says Chuck's mom's story checks out. Back in Castle, Chuck gets a voicemail from an unknown number. It's his mom saying she wants to meet Ellie before she goes back undercover. Sarah offers to go with Chuck, but he says it's his mom and they can trust her. He goes back to the courtyard where Ellie is sitting, missing their mom, conveniently. He asks her if she has any plans. Meanwhile, Sarah meets Casey in some mystery location, and he tells her the truth about the file. Everything about Mary was a lie, and she is actually a double agent working directly for Volkoff. But that's bad news, because Chuck and Ellie are meeting Mary at a restaurant right now! Well, Ellie is excitedly waiting, Chuck goes outside to check if Mary got lost, and sees her walking through the parking lot with the little bear from earlier. But he also sees a sniper on the roof, and a van pulls up behind Mary, pulling her in. When Chuck rushes over to help, he pulls off one of the agent's masks and finds out that it's Sarah. She tells Chuck she's protecting his blind spot, and the van drives off with Mary inside. Chuck goes back into the restaurant and tells Ellie their mom's not coming. She's really sad, and she says, why does she always do this to us? And Chuck says, because she's a spy. And Ellie is shocked, and that's the end. Chuck versus the Isle of Terror. Ooh. I have to do that every time you say Isle of Terror. I'm sorry. Did you pick up on something weird in this episode? There's something that I realized that... I wanted to see if you also observed it. Is it the casting? It's not the casting. Okay, um, then no, I didn't pick up on... I mean, maybe that was the only thing in this episode I picked up on, Chris. Um, (laughs) No, uh, what was it? Chuck did not flash at all in this episode. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's a good point. I guess there wasn't really, like, any opportunities for him to flash Mm -hmm. necessarily, but... I just thought it was kind of odd because it stood out to me where I was like, oh, shit, I forgot that he even had the intersect. Yeah. Like, because it just was not uh, it's usually factored in somewhere and it just wasn't this week. Yeah. They the only time it came up was when he lied about flashing. So that's interesting. Well, flash or no flash. uh, One thing that we always have, you know, Chuck may not always flash, but we always do this segment. It's called Chuck, Mary, Kill, where we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry uh, or frost, should I say. And uh, one part of this episode that we would like to kill. Oh, I just got your joke. Yeah, it pretty was, funny. It was really, that was that it was, was a good one. Yeah, that that was yeah, it was thinker. really good. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's why it took you so long to figure it out. All the best jokes take forever for people to uh, to to enjoy. Um, 
So I'm going to go, I'm going to step down from the mic and allow Aaron <laughs> to discuss what she would like to marry this week. Okay, so I thought that them casting Robert Eglund was really cool. Um, the, the, did, the, so I texted Chris and I said, they're really going for it with the guest casting. He was to whom I was referring. I, I don't know if that was clear. Um, he played Freddy Krueger, and that's cool, because, like, people who know that, which I was not one until I Googled it, but people who know that were probably very excited to see him, um, in the Halloween episode doing some scary stuff. I thought maybe, I mean, I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street, so maybe they did make some references. I thought they could have done a little more. Maybe at some point he's holding some scissors or something, but I thought his performance was pretty good. Um, comparatively to other guest stars we've had, especially like Lou Ferrigno stands out. Um, he's, he's less good than Nicole Richie. I just want to be clear. She's, she's what you're shooting for. He is a little bit below that, but I thought he was good. And I like, I feel like I've seen him before, like when he's not Freddy Krueger, but I also like, it was just cool to see him as like, kind of like a, an unassuming professor type, but he still got to be a little spooky. I thought he was funny. I thought his performance was really good. Yeah, I did not know who he was, but he was very theatrical. And yeah. I was trying to decipher your text message as I was watching the episode. And once I got like halfway into it, I was like, all right, I don't think they're going to introduce any more guest stars. But then I was thinking the whole scene with Morgan being the magnet and Casey and everything. I was like, oh, maybe the guy, the connection that they have here uh -huh. is going to be like this big guest star. Uh -huh. that I'm going to be like, oh, I recognize him. Uh, but that was not the case. That was literally a... Just, it just uh, seems like a lot of the casting, like the guest stars and like the reoccurring guest stars and et cetera, are like guests that you would also have at Comic-Con. Like it's just like people who are at like a table over from the <laughs> Chuck table, which is cool. Like I think that's a good thing. That's not like dissing them in any way. Um, right. But I feel like there is crossover between like people who would recognize him and people who watch Chuck. And I think that's cool. Like they, there's a very clear uh, category of performer that they mine for these episodes. That's like someone who was in a movie that was popular in the '80s and has since significantly aged and doesn't really have much of a career, but is always happy to tie back into that thing that you they know, did. You know, I saw, um, I just saw Alien, and Harry Dean Stanton, who was the Repo Man, was in Alien, and I was like, ah, I know him. Ah. Yeah. But but I don't know how Nicole Richie fits into that. I mean, I guess she was from an earlier season though, so that's Well, she's the the exception that proves the rule, I guess. Uh -huh. No, I don't I don't know. <laughs> she doesn't she doesn't fit into that bunch of people, but I feel yeah. like No, it's definitely um, Yeah. So who would you marry or what would you marry? Well, I really enjoyed I thought there was a lot of good instances of of humor, of one-liners, like little tags in this episode. I felt like this episode took some time to let the scenes breathe a little bit, uh, which allowed the characters to be able to have some humorous asides. I always enjoy when the show leans into its comedic pedigree, and I thought that there were some pleasant instances of that, like Ellie, uh, when when the character played by Morgan Fairchild arrives, Ellie says that she wants to go stay in the hotel room that was originally like slated for, for her. I liked Big Mike having a Danielle Steele book, um, there were some other funny lines throughout that I enjoyed. And I was like, yeah, this is I'm glad they haven't really done a ton of one liners. I feel like it's always a stylistic choice that sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But I was glad that this week that they were doing that a little bit more. Yeah, I was into that, too. So what would you like to kill? Like Mary killing Sarah in a bad trip? Ooh, uh, so this is very, very small, but it was just something that really bothered me. Maybe just proportionately. I had a large emotional investment in this. 
When Mary is grabbed into the van by Sarah and Casey, she's holding the little chicken dance bear and she drops it. And Chuck runs over and tries to rescue her. He can't. And then he sees the bear on the ground that's like a symbolic of like Mary's good intentions. And he leaves it there, like on the ground. He just goes back into the he goes back into the restaurant. Like he could have I he could have picked it up. I know it's touched the ground, but like you could you could wash it. You don't know who touched it in the store. I'm sure it fell down before. It was just like it really offended me that Chuck just left that bear lonely in a dirty parking lot. Yeah, way to be a dick, Chuck. Yeah. What about you? I wanted to kill. I so I th- I felt like I wanted them to do a little bit more with like the Halloween theme and uh-huh. the atroxium. Mm-hmm. Aside from it already being kind of like the the idea of the atroxium being pretty derivative of like you know we talked about Batman. And yeah. I'm sure there's other instances of like scary fear-based hallucinogenics and uh-huh. other movies and things like that I, I was pretty intrigued by it at the beginning like being introduced into the context of chuck i was kind of curious to see how they would that would kind of shake out but i feel like we didn't really get to see much of it and we talked about it earlier how they aside from kind of the visuals on uh wheel Wright's face mutating there uh-huh. wasn't a ton of like the scary stuff like i thought they could have really gone all out and really done crazy stuff like have the characters doing these really crazy things or like i like when you know mary shot sarah as part of the vision like i thought that was good and i felt like they could have done more things with like casey or morgan mm-hmm. or just have like ellie and devin there or just other people that they could have played with and kind of made more of a statement with that um but so much of the not that there needs to be like a halloween message like wow this is the <laughs> meaning of halloween but i don't know i just feel like so much of the Halloween credits that were spent in this episode were just like Jeff and Lester decorating for Halloween. But yeah. then um, ultimately just they were just building towards that scene of Wheelwright going crazy in the Isle of Terror with the non scary images. Mm-hmm. And also in a small thing like the Isle of Terror wasn't even shaped like an aisle. <laughs> like, I feel like if it was if it was shaped like an aisle and had like the rows and they had non scary things in the aisles. It was a little bit more of uh, that kind of experience. I would have appreciated it more. Uh, otherwise, they should have just changed the the name of the tent into something that wasn't aisle based. That's a very semantic thing on my part. <laughs> I recognize that, but it's something that I be- I believe strongly in. Yeah, it's like check leaving the bear in the parking lot. It's the thing that bothers you. Uh, something that doesn't bother me is the scooter scale, where every week we take uh, a certain number of corn dogs out of the old corn dog oven and assign them to this episode based on how many. Uh, uh, based on how much we liked it, I guess. So, Aaron, how many corn dogs would you give this episode on a scale of zero to five? I'm gonna give it three point five. I think it was pretty middling for me. Mm-hmm. Everything you just said really took the wind out of my sails. But I agree that it could have been a lot scarier. And it's like I I'm sure that a lot went into this episode, and I don't want to like be insulted i don't want to i don't want to diss them too much but i don't feel like it's too much of a budget thing they could have had scary things that were like the thing with like uh sarah getting shot like i know that those kind of effects are expensive but even if it's just like mary popping up and saying like i never loved you i meant to leave you and ellie pops up and says you're a bad brother or like things like that like they could have played with chuck spears a lot more they could have made it specific they could have done different things with the effects to make it scarier um i am not particularly bothered by the fact that the isle of terror wasn't an isle but uh everything else that you said i agree with but i did um 
I did like the episode in spite of that. I thought it was like relatively watchable and enjoyable. I liked all the characters. I like what they're doing with Mary. Something that bothers me just a little bit is like Mary just kind of pops back up. Like I know Chuck has been looking for her and it's kind of ironic that as soon as he stops, she like gives him a call, but it just felt like very easy. Mm -hmm. But I do like kind of the intrigue of whether you don't know if she's bad or not and Chuck trusting her and Sarah and Casey not trusting her, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just going to give it a mid midpoint 3.5. What about you? I, um, I think I will match you there with 3.5. Uh, I enjoyed this episode. I feel like it was somewhat less action packed than the last week's episode since they had to cover so much kind of like dialogue and emotional territory with Mary. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that they took their time with that. I was intrigued with the X, the Atroxium, but like I said, I feel like it was kind of underutilized. Um, I do. I appreciate the twist with Mary's secret file. Like I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Cause when Casey first gets the file and he's like, Oh, she, uh, she says she is who she says she is. I yeah. was like, well, that was stupid. Why did we do that then? Um, but the twist I appreciated and I, Sarah grabbing her in the van. I liked, um, and I, like I said, I liked, the uh the humor the one-liners um so overall i think it was a pretty fun outing but i do think that there were a pretty significant number of missed opportunities that you know maybe not feasible maybe they never would have been able to do that but i i would have liked to see them yes pretty uh pretty solid episode uh now we have the lesson of the week you don't need your uh children's encyclopedia <laughs> or dictionary to get a lesson we will give you two lessons right now aaron what did you learn this week I learned that, like Jeff and Dr. Wheelwright, I am very mentally disturbed. And also, I learned man feet. Okay, well, I think that was a cry for help. Uh, <laughs> so me. I guess we'll talk about that later. Uh, my lesson of the week is if you want to establish yourself as the fun grandma, you need to do it early on. That's something that Mary taught me this week. Don't wait until the child is born and can speak or understand you. You need to be there as the fun grandma as soon as the child is born and present them with that chicken dancing teddy bear as soon as they emerge from the birth canal. Would you say you have a fun grandma? The grandma wars start in utero. Never forget that. It's true. I mean, I I would definitely say I have a fun grandma. I... I don't know what exactly, I don't know if I have a fun grandma necessarily, but I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes you got those grandma wars going on. And if you want to be the front runner, you need to start early, maybe even start pre-conception, <laughs> you know, maybe that's the kind of road work that you need to, you at least need to have. I'm going to start the, working on it right now before I even have a child. Yes, Erin, that's a great <laughs> idea. As a woman, a young woman in her late 20s, you should start preparing to be the fun grandma. There is no... <laughs> I, this is purely speculative, but I, there's no doubt in my mind that if you were a grandparent, that you would not be the fun grandma. You were you. No, I'm saying that there's no, you would be the fun grandma. I'm not saying that you wouldn't be the fun grandma. I'm saying that, of course, you would be the fun grandma. You, oh, okay. you already you have fun grandma energy okay. now. I thought you said I old. wouldn't. I was very offended, no. but OK, no, that's an honor. Thank I'm you. Sorry, you're you're giving me the death glare, but I, I misspoke. I meant to say that you would be the, the fun grandma. Oh, I was like, who is my competition? Why can't I figure out who my competition is? And then I realized it's because... <laughs> is that person you don't? Yeah. <laughs> they might not even be born yet. I mean, there probably well, are. I would Unless say my child marries a vastly younger person. 
they're probably already born. Yeah. All right. I mean, so I'm going to look be... at any stranger on the street as if they are my competition for little <laughs> grandma. I think so. What there's there needs to be two like award winning screenplays that emerge out of this episode. There's <laughs> the one about your mother in law shooting you and like the repercussions of that, not unlike NBC's The Slap. <laughs> um, but then also a screenplay about the grandma wars and a young woman uh seeking out her enemy grandma okay her future grandma rival uh lots of ideas we got a lot of ideas so we gotta Uh, we gotta head out and write those down now yes we do uh so my name has been chris gillespie reminding you to vote holy shit vote on november 3rd if you live in america and are a registered voter if you remember nothing else from this episode remember that I would not even hire Donald Trump to work at the Buy More. And my name is Erin Arada, cool grandma, also telling you to vote. Voting is possible. Voting is sexy. Go vote. So we'll see you next week. I don't know what that looks like, but we'll see you next week. Okay. Have fun. Bye bye. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.